Astrid and Jamila would like to acknowledge that this podcast was made on the lands of the Wurundjeri and the Boon Wurrung people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging and we note that this sovereignty was never ceded. Welcome to Anonymous Was A Woman. My name is Jamila Risby and I am joined today by my extraordinary co-host Astrid Edwards and in this, our final discussion episode of this season of Anonymous Was A Woman, we are talking about freedom. Astrid, sweet, sweet freedom. Sweet, sweet freedom. When you proposed this topic, the first thing that I thought about Jamila was, and I might be misquoting here, June from The Handmaid's Tale, Margaret Atwood's The Handmaid's Tale, where she thinks about the freedom to and the freedom from. I think that is a excellent reference. I think at the time when we sat down and we chose the topics for this season, I think front of mind for me was the Black Lives Matter protests largely in the United States, but also here in Australia. I don't think the Black Lives Matter movement has received the support it deserves in Australia and that's standing in contrast to other places in the world. And I was interested to see what kind of writing came out over the months that would follow. But now, now that we come to this discussion, we've come to it at a point in time where the last four weeks have been dominated in Australia by discussions of gender and freedom from violence and freedom to work without being harassed or without being assaulted, freedom to be part of a community, freedom to be in your own home and to be safe, right? We can reinterpret this theme in so many ways. It has been such a difficult week, Jam, and I thought this was going to be a really positive, uplifting episode because freedom is such a wonderful thing. But, you know, I feel like the freedoms that I assumed I had aren't really there for me or they could be taken away at any point. Let's talk about freedom in books. Let's talk about freedom to read and freedom to write. Let's start with you. What does freedom to read mean for you? I don't know if I'm allowed to answer that accurately on a book podcast, Jamila. Freedom to read. Sometimes I find myself reading on the clock and what I would really like to do is to not get out of bed one morning and read something that I would be too embarrassed to ever talk about on this podcast, but read for pure, unadulterated pleasure. Probably a fantasy book that you would laugh at me for. I think that's a fair point. And, uh, you know, we are incredibly fortunate to be able to be paid for what we love in making this podcast and in a lot of your other work because so much of your work is related to books. But it does make your hobby and the place where your joy comes from in your downtime a work project and there are some true advantages to that and it also changes the reading process, doesn't it? Because we all know that from, from school, right? When you were given a text that you had to read and no matter how amazing it was, you were still reading it with a sense in the back of your head of how will I write about this? How will I speak about this in class? How will I unpack this in an essay? And it does change the reading process. I wanted to talk about freedom to write because I'm an author, as you know, and one of the things I found so hard in the last, to be honest, almost 18 months now 
is to work on long form projects. And I was speaking with another author yesterday who was saying the same thing that short form writing seems much more accessible at the moment. Banging out 800 words isn't something either of us had a problem with, but sitting down and working on a book or working on something cohesive where you have to think long-term and big picture and draw all these strands together, to do that requires time. It requires freedom from the rigours and the expectations of family life, of community life and of work life. And during the midst of a pandemic, it means freedom in your head, right? Freedom from fear, freedom from the exhaustion and the mundaneness perhaps of living through a pandemic sometimes. And I'm finding I don't have the concentration to work on something long form at the moment. So I pay huge tribute to the authors who can. It goes back to Virginia Woolf, where, of course, we get the title for our podcast and the idea of a room of one's own. I mean, a room of one's own is not just the physical space where you can shut the door and a partner or a kid doesn't walk in and impinge upon that space. It's space in that room as well. It's the mental space. It's the financial space. It's the lack of exhaustion from a global pandemic space, which is in very short supply these days. And on that note, before we crack into the book discussions for today, I want to very sincerely thank Hachette Australia, who have sponsored this season of Anonymous Was a Woman. Being gifted the knowledge that this podcast is sponsored for some time, means that we can explore new things, we can try new things, we don't have to be a slave to where is the funding coming from next. It gives us a freedom, gives us a freedom to read and to speak with authors and to try things we might not otherwise. So I want to pay tribute to them with thanks also to Future Women and Bad Producer Productions who've made this season possible. And with that, let's crack on with the final discursive episode of season three. Today, I am thrilled to introduce a book to you that is not a new release. It's a few years old now, but it has stuck with me so firmly. It has taken up residence somewhere deep in my soul and it won't let go. And the book is The Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead. Can I tell you a bit about it? Oh, please do. And any book that sticks with you for years, it's always a good one. So the railroad that we're speaking about here is a kind of loose network of activists, black and white activists, who worked together to make sure that slaves could escape and find freedom in the kind of 10, 20 years or so before the Civil War in the United States. So it begins in this book as kind of like a a metaphor, I suppose, the Underground Railroad being human beings who assist you to escape to freedom. And through the book, in a sort of act of almost magical realism, becomes a train, an actual train that ferries fugitives out of their slave conditions they've been living in to a place where they can have freedom of a new life. I don't know if you've read much Colson Whitehead before, but I think he's quite extraordinary. And in one interview with, I think it was the New Yorker, he said that he wanted to write about the channels that did help slaves escape from the South to the North. And he did know he wanted to include this idea of 
magical realism, this idea of we take the figurative railroad and we turn it into a, an actual railroad, like a subway system. And he had ideas of who his central slave character would be, the person who escaped to freedom and whose journey we followed. And he always thought it would be a young single man because that's who he was at the time. It took him 15 years to start writing this book. And he said over those 15 years he evolved significantly. He moved. He realised what he could and couldn't do as an author. And he decided to reimagine the story in his head and take that scaffolding I've described, but the story actually revolves around Cora, a young woman who is a runaway slave. I have not read much Colson Whitehead, and I have to admit that The Underground Railroad has been on my shelf for a few years and I haven't read it yet. I feel a bit guilty about that. I am also aware that not only did this book win the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction, his subsequent novel, The Nickel Boys, also won the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction. And I kind of want to find a weekend where I read off the clock, as we were talking about before, and I sit down and read both in order and just go into the world of Whitehead. Yeah, I would thoroughly advise you to do that. I wanted to talk a little bit about the magical realism I've just mentioned, because for me, that's a phrase that tends to put me off. Why? Because I'm just like, oh, guys, just tell me the truth. Like I want stuff set in my world. As you know, I pull back a little bit from the magical and the wizardry and the unusual and the sorry. Something that I am very much attracted to. I first came to magic realism through Gabriel Garcia Marquez and 100 Years of Solitude and Love in the Time of Cholera. And the genre is much broader than that, but it is a happy place for me. I like the fantasy. And For those who like the fantasy, you will enjoy this book. You will like the cross between the literal and the figurative railroad enormously, I think. But for those who don't, I think you will also enjoy it because the book does create this kind of alternative reality, but it doesn't push so far that we lose the essence of the story and the piece of history that Whitehead is telling. It feels very truthful and very realistic throughout the novel. So I just wanted to flag that because I don't want to put people off (laughs) like me and turn away from the magical realism element. The other thing I wanted to talk to you about, Astrid, was Whitehead's voice as an author is absurdly kind of, I haven't got the right word, I think it's flexible. He writes in such different styles and he pulls them together in one book, in a way that is extremely accomplished. So much of this book is told almost like it's a fable. You know, there's a sense of allegory to the book. There are elements that feel poetic. It feels like you should be standing and reading them as if it is poetry from the page. And yet when he talks about slavery and the horrors of slavery, it is painfully realistic and honest in the way he depicts it. And that kind of the brutality of life on a plantation for our protagonist, Cora, to whom awful things happen, is really almost procedural. And the way it's so procedural in how he writes makes it more confronting. So, Jan, this book is based on the very real and traumatic history of slavery in the US. We've just seen Black Lives Matter roll out around the world in 2020 and it continues as it should in 2021. 
What does this book tell us about the state of affairs? There are some really clear parallels in this work to what is happening now. The story is, I think, one set in the past and one that is fictionalised against a historical background, but it has a lot of learnings, it has a lot of messages for our present and particularly for America's present. There are passages in the book that will stick with you when you do read it, Astrid. At one point there are some slave patrollers in North Carolina who talk about the fact that you don't need a reason to stop someone if they're black, if it's a person of colour. You're allowed to just inspect them because that's who they are. They talk about in one part of the book, there is a discussion with an angry mob and there's a senator who says that the heritage of the South lies defenceless and imperiled because of the black miscreants. I've just tortured that quote, but it's something like that. And when you hear sentences like that, suddenly it feels very modern, deeply modern, because I think it does bring to the front of your mind the police killings of unarmed black men and the fact that police in the United States and indeed in many parts of the world target people of colour and the kind of language that many of us use and that newspapers use, that the media uses, that communities use, that demonises immigrants, that demonises minorities. So I think it is a book that really does drive home the present using the past. I found a quote from the book that I pulled out. It's in the final pages, but I promise it doesn't give away anything from the plot. The final pages of the Underground Railroad are in that form of near poetry that I spoke about earlier. And they speak of freedom. The final pages speak of freedom, but they also speak of what America is and what needs to be changed. And the quote I wanted to read to you, Astrid, is, America too is a delusion the grandest one of all. The white race believes, believes with all its heart that it is their right to take the land, to kill Indians, make war, enslave their brothers. This nation shouldn't exist if there is any justice in the world for its foundations are murder, theft and cruelty. Wow. Yeah, how's that for a rousing kind of final pages paragraph? There is so much work to do. Jam, you know I haven't read The Underground Railroad, but I know enough of my North American history to know that the Underground Railroad was one of the only symbols of hope at various points in slavery, the period of slavery in America. And I actually learned about the Underground Railroad because of Margaret Atwood in The Handmaid's Tale, one of the tiny, tiny, very few glimmers of hope in that book for the women of Gilead is Moira's reference to the Underground female road, which was the network of people working to smuggle handmaids, smuggle women out of Gilead to anywhere, including Canada. It is an old point of hope that we still need. Jamila, I'm taking a slightly different tack today and I would like to discuss with you Eating With My Mouth Open by Sam Van Sweden. Now, Sam is a Melbourne-based writer. She has been writing short-form essays and reviews and critiques for years now, and this is her first collection. Eating With My Mouth Open, I feel it is genre-defying. Technically, it's food writing, and I am not someone who reads food writing. But food writing doesn't adequately describe what Sam has done 
with eating with my mouth open. Have you read it? I have. And I have to say, I thoroughly enjoyed it in a way that I did not expect to, because I came to this book expecting with all due respect, you know, the pages of the weekend magazine lift out that sort of speaks about what someone ate at a restaurant in a level of excruciating detail and too many weird metaphors. That's what I was expecting. And it is absolutely not that. It's just as much about people's relationship with food as it is about the food itself. Is that right? Absolutely. Relationship with food, relationship with what society thinks we should think about food and eat food and consume food and talk about food. It is exquisite. I found myself feeling like Sam was my friend and we were having a chat about the meaning of life and what it feels like to inhabit a body in this world and what society expects us to do with that body. Eating with my mouth open also touches on mental health and family relationships. Sam talks about her parents. She talks about the struggles of mental health of various family members and how that has changed her relationship to food and her own body over time. And also exploring memories of her family that of course did involve food because so many times in our life, we come together with our family over a meal, you know, at Christmas or on a picnic or whatever it might be. So I really, I'm struggling here because I do believe that this is genre defying. It's a collection of essays, but they all hang together beautifully and you can dip into this or you can sit down and read the whole thing in order. Both will make sense. And I guess one of the things that really struck with me was that Sam develops her ideas as she goes. I mean, you know, all good writers and thinkers do that, but she lets us know when she changes her mind and when she has been wrong before. And she explains why she was wrong before and how her thinking has changed. And that is so important when we talk about women's bodies and weight and fat phobia, when we talk about any kind of mental health, the idea that we don't always get it right. Most of the time, let's be honest, we get it wrong and we have to continue to change and to get better for ourselves and for the people that we love. It's a very, I think the word is tender book. The author is kind to themselves as well as to the reader. And I think for most of us, our relationship with food is complex. Not all of us, but most of us. This very deceptively simple thing of eating to fuel your body, eating when you are hungry, is emotional, it is financial, it is environmental. The consequences of what we eat, how we eat and where we get it, why we eat and what people think about us when we do eat, there are so many different threads to explore there. But I don't think I would have ever expected them to be pulled together in a single book like this. And the the reason I say that is there are countless books about food that are cookbooks that are an exploration of food and how we make food and how it's culturally important. There are a bunch of books that are about the environment that go to, at least in part, how we access food and how we can do that in a more sustainable way and how we do it now and how problematic that can be. Just walk into your local supermarket and you will see in the produce aisle where everything is covered in plastic, how problematic that is. And there are, of course, many books that explore 
particularly women's relationships with their bodies and with food. But I quite love that this brings all of those together because it allows eating with my mouth open to be both heavy and light and frivolous and meaningful and emotional and political all at the same time. And I found that really refreshing. It is refreshing and it's expansive in the idea that Sam is welcoming us all to think about our own experiences, our own thoughts and inviting us to reconsider and enjoy without shame. And that's, God, that's just fucking refreshing and lovely. It's also really nuanced. So Fiona Wright, another Australian beautiful writer who has also done a lot of food writing, but from a very different area. Fiona Wright has had very severe anorexia for a long time and she has written several collections that go into her own relationship with health and mental health and her body. And I have read all of Fiona's work and I knew that Fiona had been involved in that kind of mentor role in the development of Eating With My Mouth Open. And it's just so lovely to read a collection that kind of feels like it has Australian women writers talking to each other and almost sharing ideas, if that makes sense. It does make sense, Astrid. And, you know, I want to give us a, a grand pronouncement on freedom. This is our episode about freedom, right? And I think to an extent this book does that because Eating With My Mouth Open talks about a freedom from waste and it talks about a freedom from the confines of how the world perceives our bodies and our right to eat and to take up space in the world. But I think more than that, it's just a really lovely little read. It really is. Astrid, now comes the time where we would normally give some recommendations. However, 15 episodes into this season, we think you've got a few, guys. We're suspecting that your bedside table has a pile of books that is at least a foot or two high and falling over. So instead of some fresh recommendations, we thought we might touch on a couple of things that we've discussed in previous episodes. And Astrid, you want to thank me for something. Everybody, I do actually want to thank Jamila. A few episodes ago, you recommended The Prophets. And oh my, I cried. You were basically crying in the episode that we discussed it. And I have now gone and read it and... This is a novel that is not going to leave me. And if you haven't taken up Jam's recommendation, please do. Astrid, I also read one of your recommendations. I have picked up Dr. Amy Shah's I'm So Effing Tired. And it is sitting beside me right now. I was reading it in bed last night. I'm not sure what that says about me. And I have to say, I really enjoy the fact that sleep is increasingly becoming something that we discuss, something that we write about, something that we read about in the same way that food and exercise have been for the last three, four decades. Sleep, I think, has consistently been overlooked and I'm very good at it. So I'm excited. We finally found an area of wellness where I can shine. (laughs) Sleep is fantastic. And, you know, for everybody who is listening to us, thank you for listening. And in this episode about freedom, my God, just go read for pleasure. 
Go read something you've been wanting to read for ages. Go read something that will make you smile. Thank you so much for being with us on this episode of Anonymous Was a Woman. This is the second last instalment of season three. We will be back in just a few days with Glyn Davies to discuss his new short book for Hachette Australia. We will be talking to you then. We look forward to chatting. If in the meantime, you kind of want some more book content, If you can't get enough of Astrid and I, then you can go and find us wherever you listen to podcasts. You can rate us and subscribe. We say this every episode. Not enough of you are doing what I say. So I am taking my newfound freedom and instructing you to go and do that. Leave a lovely glowing review while you're at it. It will help more people find the podcast. We will see you in a few days and then again for season four. An enormous thank you to Hachette Australia, to Bad Producer Productions and to Future Women for making Anonymous Was a Woman possible. Listener.